Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex and with me in the room again for the second time in a month. Know, in a month. Yeah, it's been four weeks. I'm Alaric. Is Alaric. It's been a lovely sunny day here. I'm down in London and uh, we've just gone on a many hour dog walk. Yes, we went on a long dog walk with a dog that's not ours called Charlie. Uh, Alaric's down because we were doing nerdy things that just so happened to occur on this weekend. If you know what those nerdy things are, I'm sure you can guess. But uh, suffice it to say, I won. So, <laughs> <laughs> But not in the game between us. Not in the game between us. Alaric beat me, but I won overall. If you know what we're talking about, wink and a nod to you. Uh, but we haven't really been doing much maths while we're here. I set up some puzzles for you around my house, but they were mostly word puzzles. Yeah, so on the train on the way in, I got given a letter by Alex and one of our friends called Lily. And it said, open on the train on the way in. Mm. And it turns out it was a cryptic clue. And with the person that I bumped into on the train, mm. we managed to work it out. And the, the answer was freezer. Mm-hmm. And in the freezer of Alex's apartment was another clue. Yeah. And uh, there's been a series of them. But they're uh, all really hard. They were. That's, I'm, a, I'm a fiendishly difficult word puzzle setter. So uh, three puzzles, the answers to which all could be spelled on a piano. Things like cabbage, yep. and egged, and defaced. All spelled with the letters A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Abfab and Abba. Yeah, yeah, things like that. And then within there, there was a directions to a Delia book, and then in the Delia book was directions to my computer, and then in the computer where there was a password hint that... My knowledge of Delia Smith is far less than your knowledge of Delia Smith. Which is to say, I know one thing about Delia Smith, which is that she got drunk in a Norwich City game and said, where are you? And that was the... <laughs> yeah. I was expected to know that. Yeah. I didn't. That's very famous. Okay. Anyway, uh, so... Delia aside, mathematical time? Yep. Have? I've got a puzzle. Good. I'm swapping the order here. I'm deciding to do the puzzle first. You're going first this time. Amazing. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) I don't know whether I've told you this puzzle in the past. Okay. It's plausible. So it's a Lewis Carroll problem. So Charles Dodgson. Charles Dodgson. So Alice in Wonderland writer. The writer of Alice in Wonderland. And he did maths. He mm-hmm. was a logician. Mm-hmm. And he had some breakthroughs in it. I I sometimes use his puzzles at work. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is just very well crafted. So there's a particularly good story about... Was it Queen Victoria or someone? Having read Lewis Carroll's... I don't know when he was when he wrote Alice in Wonderland. But whoever the monarch was at the time in the UK. Yep. The other myth goes that she read Alice in Wonderland. Went, well, this is great. Get me all of this man's books. And they were all just like maths textbooks. <laughs> and they weren't quite what she wanted. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, yeah. This problem has a kind of fantasy setting. So there are seven dwarves. So picture Lord of the Rings dwarves. Yes. And they're there with uh, big wooden tankards of ale. Do you recognise it? No. Okay, good. So they're sitting around in a circle. It's a big circular table. And um, between them, in all of their tankards, they've got 42... I'm going to use fluid ounces. It's not really a measurement of um, liquid that we use in the UK. Right. But it just makes a sensible amount of beer. 42 flounces. Yep. Uh, between them, in all of the, all of the goblets, they've got 42 in total. That's the sum. Right. Um, they don't necessarily have the same amount each. Mm-hmm. Dwarf number one is going to divide their beer into six equal pieces, topping up the other six dwarves' tankards. So they completely empty their goblet, pouring a sixth of it equally into each of the other dwarves. And they can buy I. 
divide yeah. things into six. That's the Let's say it goes exact. Okay, so it's not one of these like water glass puzzles where it's like, oh, you can pour it all into one. Like, there's no way you can get it exactly. Dwarves are incredibly dexterous. Okay, we've seen the Hobbit movie. Yes, they can do all sorts of juggly things. Yes, yeah. So they can pour, yeah, they can pour one sixth hint of each into each. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, after they've done that and they have an empty glass, yeah. Dwarf number two, so go around say clockwise. Yeah. Uh, divides what they've got into six equal pieces. Into six. Yeah. Okay. So including uh, giving some back to dwarf number one. Hmm. Uh, then dwarf number three goes. Then four. Then five. Then six. Then seven. Yeah. Um, at the end of that, once the seventh dwarf has done that, each dwarf has exactly the same beer in their glass as they personally started with. Yes. How much beer is in each? Is so intuitively. I was kind of thinking that it's an infinite number of different types. Like, it would just always be the case that they'll get back to where they started if they pour a sixth in each. That's not necessarily true. That's so not necessarily imagine true. Imagine they all had um, the, the same amount. Imagine it was a uniform distribution. Yeah. So uh, there's 42, so dividing that by seven yeah. gives you six. Six. Uh, so imagine they had six each. The first one divides six quite neatly, mm-hmm. one each to everyone else. Now everyone has seven. Yeah. Apart from them. Yeah. The next person, when they divide it up, you're dividing seven by seven six. Seven by six. It gets really awkward. Yeah. You get loads of fractions involved. Okay. Okay. So the seventh dwarf, how much did they have to start with? That might be the easiest way. The seventh dwarf. Well, they must have had none. True. Why? Because they poured it all out at the end. Yeah. Okay. He gets out his moleskin, and it begins. So... So Alex is drawing seven numbers in a, a circle, which is a very sensible thing to do. I'm actually using pen and paper for once. So they had none, which means that the others had on average seven. True. So dwarf number seven had none to start with. I'm thinking about dwarf number six. Yeah, I think that's a sensible thing to do. Because they poured all theirs out, so they had none. Yeah. And then they got some amount of the one-sixth of what was... Yeah, they, they only had one kind of filling opportunity. One kind of filling. But that doesn't automatically mean that's one like, fluid ounce. No. That just means the one, one, one filling's worth. So if I write one filling's worth here, because they, uh, a filling's worth is... It, it's just a sixth of whatever the last person had. So that ends up being one, two, three, four, five, two, three, four, five, six going around. Yep. And the sum of that is 21. And so does it go 12, 10, 8... Oh, Six. Alex, you're very good. Oh, I solved it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was that too fast? <laughs> no, it's good. I, I, I had another hint lined up for yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk through your solution then? Uh, no, I don't understand it. Um, that was just a. It was intuitive oh. thing, right? So, okay. so dwarf number six has had one fillings worth. Yep. Dwarf number seven has had none. Dwarf number five has had two. Dwarf number four has had three. Dwarf number three has had four. Dwarf number two has had five. Dwarf number one has had six. Yeah, it's linear going around. So, if I all those are fillings worths, the sum of naught to six is twenty-one. Yep. And there are forty-two fluid ounces, which means that a fillings worth is two fluid ounces. Yep. So I multiply them all by two, but I do not know why that works. So uh, your assumption there. It happened to get onto the right thing. One thing's worth didn't necessarily have to be the same answer. Yes, each exactly. Time. So this is why I don't know why it, it works. It just happens to be that that is the answer. That's right. the only way to do it. So um, the additional hint I was going to give you was all of the numbers are integer at every point. So mm. every time you're dividing, you have a multiple of six in your glass. 
So imagine the situation where dwarf number one had six, dwarf number two had five fluid ounces, and yeah. so on, yeah. round, down to dwarf number seven that had zero mm-hmm. fluid ounces. Then when you do the division, after one iteration of it, dwarf number one splits their six fluid ounces into six ones, tops everyone else up. Ah, uh, and the six rolls around. Yeah. Actually, almost the whole whole thing just rotates. It does, yeah. The whole dwarf, yeah. So dwarf number two now has six, dwarf number three has five, and so on. Yeah. All the way around, so six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Yeah. It's just rotated. The circle just rotates each time. So um, you can make more fiendish versions of it where it goes, oh, it goes around 11 times. What could it possibly be? Yeah. That's like a harder version of the problem. So all I did, because it's just triangular numbers here, yeah. so 21, yeah. um, timesing that by two, 42 makes it a bit more obscure. Sure. Um, people right. see 21 and think triangular. But it is one of those ones that you can... Um, I've done it on maths conferences where yeah. we've had a table of mathematicians and you just change the number 42 to be whatever the equivalent two times a triangle number is mm. for the number of mathematicians sitting around in the circle. And going back to last week's episode with the tie. Yep. If they started with uneven, completely uneven distributions yep. and they do this about a hundred times, will they end up at this? Ooh, that's interesting. It feels like it does tend to that kind of linear gradient. It tends towards something. But is this, maybe this linear gradient is just a local minima hmm. and actually they would just all end up with the same amount after a while no because there'll always be someone with none so I wonder if you, one could potentially run some simulation or do it by hand or something yeah. that just does it end up being this stripe going up it never gets exactly onto that right it'll yeah it'll ta- it takes an infinite number of uh, yeah. Boring, so the same with the tie, right? You know, you'll never get exactly down to yeah. a third. Yeah, place. it tends. It's yeah, just a limit. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think it does tend towards this. Tend towards that. Yeah, which gives a, a second solution. You just try it. A second solution, uh, rather than uh, the intuitive answer of looking at triangle numbers. Mm. You can just try doing it. Keep boring. Yeah. Measure what's left. Yeah. The scientist approach. Yeah, yeah, and just see what it ends up being. I have told this problem to dozens of people over the years, yeah. and I've never gone down this line of thought. <laughs> well, you know, we come preloaded with uh, things we've already been thinking about, and obviously that the thing with the tie is, uh, yeah, yeah, has been something that's been dear to my heart, which I, I learned from a. It was a visiting sort of, you know, when these people who are kind of maths hotshots like sort of Simon Singh or somebody mm. turns up at your school and does uh, does a lecture about. We had Simon Singh visit once, and he did a lecture about maths to us it was somebody else turned up and did a lecture about maths and he showed us the tie problem yep. and it just sunk in ever since so this kind of thinking intuitive thinking about uh, iterating on something redistributions of buckets tending towards uh, local minima is a fantastic amalgam of both the tie thing and also my uh, master's degree which was all about uh, like parameter space and, and things moving around in inside vector space and, and reaching local minima dynamic yeah, linear stuff. Every time you ma- mention your master's degree on the podcast, it feels like it changes its uh, title and its description of what was in it. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a weird one because I, I did stuff with robot arms, I did stuff with like dynamics. So yeah, it was uh, relatively useless as well after all, except for, you know, getting a first on my CV, <laughs> which is the <laughs> best thing about it. I have been thinking for, again, a long period of time, and one of these days we're going to run out of all the things I've been thinking about for a long period of time. I've been thinking about blood alcohol levels. Yep. 
and the decay of blood alcohol levels in the blood okay. over a period of time. It sounds very biology. It's a little bit biology, but uh, for any biologists out there, this is just a wrapping around a, a more different problem. It's essentially, it's uh, we can abstract this up to, to something else. Okay, nice um, pure maths. This yeah, yeah, let's yeah. Just, just ignore the fact that the human body probably works in some other way. Just imagine it works in the way that I that I want to imagine it to okay. work. And so there's this idea of the sweet spot of blood alcohol level when you're feeling your utmost joviality and uh, your most uh, gregarious. That particular sweet spot will decay over time. You'll you'll escape from it because you'll be at a certain blood alcohol level. But there is some model around which we can. I've always considered it to be an exponential drop off. Uh, around which you become less drunk. And so, what is the rate and frequency in which you should top up your blood alcohol levels such that you stay within the sweet spot at all times? And this will involve us creating a model for drinking speed and absorption. I think we're in that awful episode of Sherlock where they had the, uh, the wedding episode. And what is this? Sherlock. The I know Sherlock, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on, they arrange a stag do. And they optimise when to drink and how much to drink. Oh, really? Um, to maintain that sweet spot. Sure, sure, sure. Um, what sort of thing do you want from this model? Okay, so... <clears throat> so, dependent on time. The rate of change... <laughs> no. <laughs> so, the function of blood alcohol is... Pro- well, say proportional, because, you know, why not? Yep. It is of the form. Some amount that decays... And you're thinking some exponential decay. Yeah, an exponential decay, e to the minus something, e to the minus kt. Yep. Multiplied by the input function, which is the like the function that indicates the amount that you're drinking. Yeah. Or the blood alcohol absorption, well, it which itself like, may be a function of the amount you're drinking. It feels like an ad rather than times. So you've got some amount going out, you've got some amount going in, and so the rate of change of them is the amount going in um, minus the amount going out. Sure, okay, so the rate of change of blood alcohol over time is proportional to negatively amount the amount that's in there yep so minus minus I've used little ba for some reason yep but that's just a singular symbol okay so yep I agree with that plus the absorption rate which we should not consider because in in real you know reality uh, <laughs> we sh- you don't you don't you're not tied up to a drip right there's some version of this where you have a blood alcohol, like a drip in your arm, where it's you're getting drunk at the same rate you're getting undrunk. Yeah. Yeah. But it's actually probably more like a herbicide step function or like a sawtooth wave or something like that. And I'm quickly getting out of my comfort level with uh, with ability to, to use these. So at the moment, I'm, I'm using A as um, alcohol level. Right. So DAGT equals minus KA. Yeah. So you're losing an amount proportional to... Um, how much is in there? Sure. Plus some sort of constant. Because... Some sort of constant, which is the average of your. Yeah. So yeah. it's the average of the amount going in. Actually, it's going to be coming in waves as you. Um, yeah. You're not having some as you're going to the bar, and you're waiting for the next one. Yes. But let's call it a constant. So. Okay. I don't know, plus C. Plus C, and so the rate of change of blood alcohol level should be zero if you want to stay at the sweet spot. Yeah. So C should equal KA. Okay, so you're, you're trying to find when it's constant. Well, it's like uh, how, to... however you want to model it, but obviously it's nice to stay in the sweet spot, and that's probably where it's roughly constant. Yeah. 
It's like you're finding the stationary point. Yeah. So DADT, you don't want your uh, alcohol level to be going up or down. No, you just want to stay... Yeah, I, that's just a linear function. You get that. Yes, but the, the, the your input amount, your C, if C equals KA, yeah. A is your optimal blood alcohol level, which is different for different people. So therefore, yeah, we've already said it, C equals KA. Yeah. But that alcohol level, let's say that the thing that you're you're actually controlling is C, for example, then you know what your your sweet spot blood alcohol level will be, or at the very least the one you'll stay stationary at, based on the amount of input you have, because that's going to be C over K, where K is the amount that it decays. Yeah. I've been um, doing a separation of variables on this. Sure. So I had a differential equation, it separates out... Um, I, I'm just going through rearranging the logs here. But yeah. it looks similar to the thing you were building straight away. Not the differential equation, but the uh, the one with the e to the minus kt. Yeah. So we've got... Um, I keep having to uh, rename constants here, because we've got so many different constants with mm. different names. I've already used uh, k, c, and d. Mm. Um, let's use alpha. Okay, so what I've got here is that um, a, the level of alcohol, is some positive constant. Yeah. Minus some constant times e to the minus kt. E- yes. So yes. that's that's the rate of change over yes. time. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's got some amount, but it's losing some in an exponential. Losing some pressure. in an exponential way. Yeah. Which makes sense. It, it's like a Newton's cooling curve. It's, it's mm. like if you've got a temperature in a um, a mug. Yeah. Um, as it reduces down, it's yeah. getting closer and closer. So for optimal time on a night out, if optimal is it like a stable blood alcohol level. Yeah then you want to be drinking steadily. Well, yeah. Uh, what you want is the amount that's going in is the same in the same time period yes. as the amount that's going out. As the amount that's going out. Uh, it can't possibly be exactly stable if you're not drinking uniformly. Yeah. Because your body is dealing with it uniformly. Mm. Yeah, it's, it is. It has a backlog, right? Yeah. But it's roughly proportional to the amount that it hasn't your stomach <laughs> this is where this is where the model gets gets deeper so your stomach has an amount of alcohol in yep. and it absorbs an amount of alcohol that's proportional to the amount that's sitting in your stomach yep. so you have a second function holding bay and these things this thing quickly becomes a rather complex system yeah you, of, you uh, get a kind of capacitor yeah where it take there's a, a time delay probably it, it's a good idea to sip often sip small <laughs> So if one had um, a drip lined like into one of their veins, yeah, you could have it going uniformly. Yes, this is not advice. This is don't put a drip of alcohol <laughs> into your veins, but you could mitigate. So shots, for example, yeah, bad idea if you want a stable blood alcohol level. Yeah, although quite a good way to get back up to where you want to be. It's a good little injection if you're if you're down. But if you're already drunk, then it's just going way above. That's not a steady replacement rate. That's just going to go in really quite quickly. Yeah. So you want something low alcohol percentage and do it constantly. Depends on what you want from your evening. If you want heavy ups and downs, then obviously you want to take a lot and then nothing and then a lot and then nothing. What's optimal? You drink a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are the best nights? Is it when you're just a constant buzz or is it when there's a... I always feel like there's this kind of... To an evening... Sorry to all of the uh, underage listeners who perhaps don't really know about the wonders of of alcohol. But I always feel like there's a peak of drunkenness to an evening. It kind of hits a peak and you go back down again. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, it's continuous function, right? Yeah. There must be a, a maxima somewhere. Yes, this is uh, this is intermediate value variable. Yes, but what's what is it called when it's applied to taxes? I don't know. It's a Laffer curve. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's an alcoholic Laffer curve, which says that there will always be a highest point yep. at some point in the evening. But I always feel like it comes towards the end, and it, that must be because the decay isn't. I must drink faster than the decay function. Yeah. Yeah. But the faster you drink, the higher your. If you're just a fast drinking person, then your stable blood alcohol level, if you're fast drinking but you know small sips, it's going to be higher. Then if you're a slower drinking person, it's going to be, you're going to be sat at a lower stable. Yes. Blood if you level. drink more and drink quickly, you will get more drunk. You will get more drunk. That's the conclusion you come to. Here. Yeah, yeah. But it's if you think about it in terms of people and their and their average blood alcohol intake. Yes, you'll get you'll get quote more drunk, but that's almost an oversimplification because it's there. There'll be a high level that you're at and a low level someone else are at, and there'll be this like drunkenness like yeah. delta, but both are stable. That's the thing. But I feel like of an evening, it often feels like it reaches up point and then comes back crashing down because then you just kind of stop drinking at that point because you're far too drunk. So there are much more further and deeper layers that we could add to uh, add to the model and. This is, this is what mathematical physics is, essentially. Yeah. Or most mathematical science. Here's a simple model. Here's some extra things we can throw into it. Yeah. If you get more complicated, you take out the stuff that doesn't matter yeah. to simplify it. But sometimes it does matter. You yeah. can keep throwing more stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. That's modeling. Yeah. And you know, you're just trying to reduce those uh, residuals as measured against reality. Yeah. Over time. That's all I really had to say on that. <laughs> I just, I, in somewhere in my head, I, I, I went through all of this a few years ago. I think when we were in third year at university, I was thinking about this. And uh, for some reason, I had in my head that sync functions were involved. Not sync functions. What's a sync function? Oh, a sync, uh, so, okay, I don't actually mean sync functions, but a sync function is sine x over x. Okay. Um, oh, sync, uh, S-I-N-C-X. Yes, but I think I meant cinch, actually. S-A-N-H, whatever that is. Hyperbolic sine. Shine. Shine, is that what it's called, yeah. Because that kind of is a curve that goes up, but it hits one. So the exponential isn't great for this, because you will get back down to zero blood alcohol level. So one minus the shine is probably better as a decay function. Okay. Because it hits zero. Oh no, it doesn't, does it? It tends towards one. What's a good function that just hits one and then just stays there? I I think you're thinking of tanch. So tan h right. x. Okay. Uh, we use it a lot in population models. Mm. So you've got, um, let's say, rabbits breeding on an island. Yeah. Uh, as you get more rabbits, there are more rabbits to breed, and so the population gets uh, faster and faster in its growth. Yeah. But it starts reaching the carrying capacity of the island. Maybe there's not enough. What are they? Kale. Kale. Um, I kale and carrots. Yeah. I think carrots are more of a treat. Carrots are a treat for rabbits. Yeah. Um, and so the population starts levelling off closer and closer to some number yeah Tanch is used for a lot of these kind of things it's it's just really useful it levels off nicely it's like it levels off at both ends it's very important that people don't take models too too seriously because they're not gospel so any type of mathematical science that says it behaves in this way Hmm. let's take a really trite example that's been beaten to death Newton's gravitational equations. Yeah. 
really good model at long scales, but they failed to predict the motion of Mercury appropriately because okay. they didn't take into account general relativity and all the slight modifications that general relativity makes to Newton's equations. Not that it goes, okay, here's Newton's equations and here's how they're actually slightly wrong, slightly different. It comes in from a completely different angle, hmm. but it shakes out that things are a little different when you're uh, in under high gravity and things like that. Hmm. Yeah. So, we've been getting some feedback from people, mm-hmm. and Andrew Slattery, who we've mentioned on the show before, um, posed a problem to us. Mm. It's the first one where it wasn't us coming up with one. Yeah. I'm going to present a problem, yeah. because it was interesting. Yes. Um, I, I think you've had a quick look at it as well. I can, Yeah, I think, I think I conceptually get it. So, I'll use his phrasing. Consider a long circular road with some number of petrol stations along it. In total, the petrol stations contain enough petrol to drive all the way around the loop. Yep. Is there a station you can start at so that you'll be able to get all the way, all of the way around the loop? So you've got n stations around. Yeah. They're not necessarily equally spaced around. Yes. And they don't necessarily have the same amount of petrol in each. Sure. It's just the total amount is enough to get around. Yeah. So if n equals one, if there's only one station, mm-hmm. then you start at the station. It has all of the petrol to get around. Yeah. Trivially true. If there are two stations, now there's going to be a long way around and a short way around. Mm -hmm. So if you started at, say, the one with more petrol, then you'd go the shorter way around the circle to get to the other station. Oh, yes. And then once you got to the other station, you've got all of the petrol and so you carry on around. You are thinking about this entirely differently from me. How are you thinking about it? Starting at the different stations rather than going the other way around. So if you have two... And, like, let's say they're completely opposite on the circle to each other. Yep. And one has 40% of the petrol and one has 60% of the petrol. Let's say you start at the top and you go around anti-clockwise. Okay. And it has, that has 40% of the petrol and it runs out. You can't do that. So rather than going the other way around... Actually, that wouldn't work either. There's two layers to this. Hmm. You just end up... You would have to start at the other station. There's 60. And once 50 is done, then you pick up the extra 40%. And then you take the other 50 back down again. Yep. So it's when they have different amounts and in different places. When they have different amounts, that changes which one you start at. Yeah. And when they have, when they're in different places, that to me feels like just changes which way round you go, clockwise or anti-clockwise. It's plausibly true. You don't necessarily always start at the one with the most petrol. Why not? So here's a counterexample. Yeah. Imagine you've got five petrol stations one near the bottom yeah kind of south and it has 0.4 yeah and you have four close to each other at the top in the north yeah 0.15 each Mm. then if you started at the one with the most the 0.4 you wouldn't have enough to get around to the top yeah whereas starting at one of the ones at the top at one of the ends and just going along there collecting your total of 0.6 and then you'd be able to make it around to the bottom okay I've just stumbled on something. Yep. Can you collapse distances? And can you actually turn this into a node diagram? Okay, yep. Shout out to the person who knows what I'm talking about here. Where you have, instead of a road being this distance, a road is actually a node with a negative value on it. Okay. So... Yeah, so it's like it's the node taking that petrol away. Yes. And the... The actual petrol stations are nodes with positive numbers because they're ones which give you petrol. Yes. 
So if you had, say, five points, you draw that as a graph with ten nodes. Ten nodes on it, alternating, positive and negative. Okay, I like that phrasing. Um, Gives you a list of numbers, essentially. Does give you a list of numbers. Once you've done that, you can probably start collapsing adjacent nodes into each other. Yeah. You want the positives that you've got to... You you want the sum of all of the numbers at every point to be positive or zero. Yes. Once Once you've got rid of the negatives... It's almost like you have blue nodes and red nodes. Blue nodes are the ones that give... Red are the one that take away. Yep. The red happen to have negative values. Yep. But when you combine a red and a blue node, you get a blue node if it's positive. Yep. And you never want to have a blue node with a negative number in it. Yep. That's kind of... I know there's already negative and positive, and this may seem like an ad- adding an extra layer, but it, it's kind of like... I see what you mean. A collapsed node. It seems like uh, you can keep chopping numbers... You've got, say, those ten numbers in a row. Yeah. Uh, if you want, you can do the operation take a number at start and put on end. Yeah. Just to loop it around. Yeah. And you want it so that the partial sum, so the um, the cumulative sum the whole way along, mm. is non-negative. I'm going to get a bigger piece of paper. Okay. Let's 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 do an example with like five or something like this. Okay. When Alex said a bigger piece of paper, he was writing on a tiny moleskin. And he... I expected him to get A4 paper. He's gone A3. I've got, I've got some A3. These are some big circles we need to draw. <laughs> so, let's say there's 100 units of fuel. Okay, yep. One. Why not one? Okay, we're going to use one. So, there is five. There are endpoints, but we can do five. Let's do five. Yep. I just want to use a, an example first. So, there were five. Now... When I'm drawing this out, and you should, if you have pen and paper at home, how many people listen with a pen and paper? By the way, let us know if you listen with a pen and paper, or or if you if you just you know this is commute or something like that. I'd be keen to know. I think a lot of people do it on their commute. Yeah. So because it's a graph diagram, distances don't matter. And then so there's five nodes, blue nodes, and then five red nodes. So blue nodes are the actual petrol stations. Petrol stations and red nodes are roads. Okay. So let's say that there's point four. Point four again. So this is going around the circle. Yes. And then point one, point zero five, and point zero five. So there's one petrol station, gas station, with four. One with yep. four. One with point one. One with point zero five. Point zero five. Forty percent. Forty percent. Ten percent. Five percent. Five percent. Yep. Now, you can make the roads particularly harsh. So again, putting the numbers on the roads, they need to add up to one. They need to add up to one as well. So let's say the first one is negative 0.5, just to be nasty. And the next one is negative 45%, just to be nasty again. Okay. So we've got negative 0.05 left. Yes. So I'll use negative 0.01, negative 0.02, and negative 0.02. So now we have this. Listeners, you are just going to have to imagine here. But... For each of these, you can kind of collapse them into something that's positive. Yep. So the first petrol station has 40% of the fuel, but the road to the next one takes 50% of the fuel. Yep. So that that can't run. You can't really start there and do that one. But what you can do is you can collapse that combination of petrol station and road 
into a singular road that takes 10 percentage points of fuel. Yeah, there are two ways to do it. You can collapse them going one way or the other. Yeah. So you can collapse um, petrol station and road next to it clockwise, or you can do it petrol station road next to it and clockwise. Yes. What we're trying to show is that one of those ways works mm. for one of the petrol stations starting. Mm. And I think you can prove that there will always be one of them. Okay, postulate. Yep. If you can collapse it down appropriately, then it works. Then there will always be the case. But I, I can't to get an algorithm which reduces it into a lower order one by squidging some of the stuff together. I think it, it, if you can, via a set of relatively rigid rules around what can and can't exist while you're doing it, yep. get to a singular node of value zero, then it's possible. Okay. That's what I think. Does that... Is that making sense? Yeah, no, it does. Okay. And I think this is just true in the general in the general case of things. Because the positive ones all add up to one and the negative ones all add up to one. And actually, you can think of it in two ways. You can either think of it as if you add together a road and a petrol station and it's positive, yep. that's making a petrol station left over. But if you add together a road and a petrol station and it's negative, they're just turning into another road. Yep, okay. It's not obvious to me that there isn't some edge case here where you've got most of the petrol but kind of separated it off from the rest by vast deserts either side of it. But you would just start there. Okay. Yeah. And That's the thing about around. it. Yeah. That's convincing for small numbers of points, but it feels like there might not be enough. But what I'm saying ones. is actually the more points you have, almost the less complex it gets because you can collapse roads and petrol stations into other, either other combinations of roads and petrol stations or just petrol stations mm. or just roads like it's just a positive and a negative number and they add together to make a positive or a negative number and so I'm not convinced there's corner cases and I think it's always possible because in the abstract I I'm willing to accept that yeah that this isn't a proof I don't know how to prove graph theory stuff <laughs> that's my problem mm. it feels like we're aiming for a proof of contradiction here like, we're going to assume that there isn't one. Yeah. Like, oh, we we can't do it, go around, say, that way. Yeah. Or show that going the other way around the circle then must necessarily have one. Yeah. Okay. So what does it mean when you can no longer go further? It means that the total negatives by the roads are greater than the total positives by the petrol station. It means that what you've done to this point up to this point has a net negative yeah you're in debt you're in debt and when that happens the car stops running and yeah and you need help so for any station and road pairing they can themselves be I'm going on this angle again mm. and it's gonna, I'm going to end up not proving it again but I was going to say for any station and road they can then be if that's negative then that's that's a road but then you know in the rest there will always be more fuel than road yeah, okay, I get that. Yeah. If locally there's a net negative because there's more roads than petrol... It means globally, outside the, of that... The opposite is true. The opposite will be true. There'll be more fuel than yep. road. And the amount that there will be more fuel... Is the same. Equal ...is equal to that deficit. The magnitude is the so same. So just yeah. start after that. Yeah. And it can't be net negative like that everywhere. Because yep. you could always say, oh, it's just always going to be... But it's just by the nature of it. If it's, net ne- if it's net negative everywhere, then there's not enough fuel to let the car drive all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting so close to this in so many intuitive ways, but I just can't <laughs> prove it. And, like, 
say you've got region one and region two. In region one, there's a net deficit. Mm-hmm. Then region two, there must be a net positive. Net positive. Within that region, you could split region number two into mm-hmm. regions uh, 2A and 2B. Mm-hmm. If there is a net deficit in region 2A, then there is a net positive in 2B, and so on. You can keep zooming in. Yes. It's recursive. Yes. And so you just keep doing that until you get the sections which are net positive. Yes. And then you start there. And you go, yeah. And you build up. And you zoom out a couple of levels. There's still a little demon on my shoulder saying, yeah, so. there's a corner case where that doesn't work. But I don't know how to exorcise the demon. No. No. Listeners, this sounds like an engaging problem. Fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps. Are there corner cases? I don't think there are. But the demon on my shoulder says there are. I don't think there are either. No. The small, the small values of n work, and as you say, with large values of n, imagine it would just became continuous. Mm. Like, you're constantly getting petrol and you're constantly using petrol at basically the same rate. Yeah. Then, fine. Large values of n cohere to... Yeah, because actually, if it's petrol stations where it's all the way, yeah. that, just, just, that just becomes... It's like you're riding a tram. Mm. Where the the fuel, the electricity in that case, is being constantly supplied. Yeah. And you're constantly using it. Yeah. So, these kind of... Do you have enough resource to go for the whole journey? There's a whole genre of these sort of puzzles. Mm. They're often about um, lorries or camels crossing the desert, all that sort of thing. Yes. Small Gods by Terry Pratchett. Yes. Has the concept of... If you want to cross a desert with an army... You send a platoon with two platoons worth of resources, food. Yep. Then when they finish their food, they put down the other half of the food and then they just starve and die. Yeah. And then you send the second platoon with two out and then they eat their food and then they pick up any that they find along the way. Yep. They eat that. And then when that's done, they put theirs down and starve and die. And you end up getting this like binary addition. Yeah. So, slightly different to that, that's where there are acceptable losses where people just die. Yes. Imagine a situation where you want to um, everyone to survive. Mm. They could go less distance, still deposit something, yeah, and then have enough to go home again. Come back again. So a classic problem: you've got a camel. Uh, the resource in this one is water. Yeah. Uh, a camel can carry enough water that it can go five hundred miles, and you, you've got you know, some way of depositing. It's in barrels of water, so. Mm. Uh, it's on the camel's back so you can just deposit them in the desert with no leakage Um, the desert is 800 miles wide how much water does it take the camel hmm yeah that'd be an optimal yep imagine it was 600 miles that the camel could do with the amount of water and it's still trying to go 800 how how do the numbers work out there what does the first camel do goes goes 200 drops 200 off takes 200 going back again yep and then the next camel picks up the other 200, just goes all the way and picks up the 200 on the way and then finishes. So 600 is fine. Yeah. It's the 500 which gets a bit more awkward. It's not quite enough. It's like with two trips, a camel can go one and a third of what you could do in one trip. Yeah. Because the first trip you go a third of the distance, drop a third off, use the third to get home again. Yeah. And then the second one you can just plough through. Can't you just go one, drop off 498, and go one back again? And then you have 998 to finish the rest of the trip. Uh, it can only carry a certain amount. So as it ah, goes out, yes. it wouldn't be able to pick up all of that. Hmm. So you need to find a way of dropping off 
300 somewhere. Yeah. But... It requires more trips, though. Yeah. That's not how that works. Because if you go 100 out, drop 300 off, take 100 back again, then it's only a, it's only drunk 100 worth to get to the 300, and then it can't carry all 300. It can only carry 100 of that. Tops back up to 500, and they can only go 600, which is not enough. That's 700. Yep. So that's why that's hard. So, you instead of just with two trips, getting one plus a third... Yeah. Imagine before you do all of that, you go um, a fifth away, a fifth of a unit, so a fifth of uh, 500 in this case. Yeah. One unit is uh, like what you would do on a full load. Dropping a fifth off. You go a fifth in, Yeah. you drop three fifths off, Okay. and you go a fifth back. Yeah. And then you do the same again. So you go a fifth in, you drop three fifths off again, so in total there are six fifths there. Yeah. And then you go uh, use the fifth remaining to get back again. Yeah. Uh, and so one fifth of a unit in, you've now dropped off six fifths. Yes. Um, now when you go out on your next journey with a full load, you go a fifth of the way in. Yeah. Pick up a fifth. Yep, to replace the uh, fifth you've used. Yeah. You're now at that barrel a fifth of the way in with a full thing. Yeah. Plus you've got a barrel there which is full. So that's like your new start point. Yeah. Yes. You can keep doing this. So you can, uh, if you did something similar with sevenths, you can get an, an extra seventh. Mm. And so you, you end up with the series like one, which you can make of as one over one, plus one over three, plus one over five, plus one over seven, ah, etc. That's something to do with pi. Yeah, it's... it's Pi squared over six. That's uh, one over the square numbers. Okay. What's one over the odd numbers? It's not quite the harmonic sequence either. I don't know. No. Usually you get like one over one plus one over two plus one over three, like mm-hmm. the odds and the mm-hmm. evens. If you... So after you've done the one plus a third plus a fifth, mm-hmm. that's like how many units you go. So that's how many uh, units of 500 you go. Yeah. Uh, that ends up as 766.66666 miles. Which that's not good. Enough, yeah. Yeah. But the next one, if you did uh, a seventh, it ends up overdoing it. Okay. So you don't actually need that much. So you want more like a sixth or like a, a 5.8 or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it ends up, you get like a, a 7.15th on the end. It, it, the numbers work out really awkwardly. Right, right. But it's, it's because you're adding a whole lot of fractions, but... Yeah. You're trying to get to an awkward number. The total amount of water you need is three plus seven fifteenths loads. Three plus seven fifteenths loads. Hmm. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but the the upside of this is if you're trying to cross an infinite desert, you can still do it. Hmm. Because it's one plus a third plus a fifth plus a seventh, etc., which diverges. Ah, okay. Uh, it, it, it sums to infinity. Hmm. It doesn't have a limit. Hmm. Is it nice? That is nice. That we can cross infinite deserts. Hmm. You have to have infinite water. I've got another one about this if you're interested. Sure. So, this one's a Martin Gartner puzzle. Oh. MG. Big MG. <laughs> Making uh, his way into the podcast, as usual. What up? So, you live on a planet. True. Um, what we're going to do is we've got an airbase on some island. 
I say it's the only island on the whole of this oceanic planet. Okay. And you can restock with fuel as much as you like when you're on the island. And you've got some planes, and the planes can restock in the air. They can uh, fuel each other. You've got some long pipes that can go between them and pump fuel. Sure. Like these exist. Yeah. That's a real thing. That's real. Each plane can hold enough fuel to go halfway around the planet. Right. So by itself, it would run out of fuel on the opposite side of the planet from the island. North Pole to South Pole. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's start at the North Pole and we're going... Okay, no, I mean, you don't have to, but that's just me visualising half the way around means North Pole to South Pole. Okay. Yeah. When I was imagining this, I was imagining kind of like going along the equator. Okay, that's fine too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many planes do you require to go the whole way around? How can and you circumnavigate with one of your planes? And they fuel each other instantaneously. Yep. You can do it mid-flight, and the planes can go back to base as many times as they want to refuel. Hmm. How many planes do you need working in tandem? Yep. Right. And it's not one. Yep. So one crashes the other side of the planet. And so if you had a second one, this is the naive attempt, right? Probably it's going to fall over at some point. Well, I'll tell you, I was out by a factor of infinity in my answer when I was trying this one. Oh, I see. So, I mean, there's... It can only get better from there. So it's not two. <laughs> so, what am I trying to do? Get all the way around? Yeah, you're okay. trying to get one plane the whole way around. One plane the whole way around. So, plane number one flies out quarter of the way. Plane number two has also flies out quarter of the way with them. Yep. Um, gives them half its fuel. No, can't hold half the fuel. Yep. Can only get be given a quarter, then as half left gets three quarters of the way yeah, around. It's the same problem with the camel. Yes. Right, so this is actually, this is dressed up. Ah, it's a sphere. So you need three, because you have another plane that goes around the back of the world, quarter of the way, gives it... Right sort of logic. Yeah. Just filling out the details. Just filling out the details. Yes, because there's always a way you can go around back so yeah the trick is sometimes you're getting some of the planes to go say east of it rather than west yes or whichever way plane number one and number two go out at the same time quarter of the way ah oh, no plane two can't go out quarter of the way and give some and come back again because it doesn't have a quarter of the way is just enough to get its fuel going right so there's probably a bunch of planes that you need but at a certain at a certain point uh, you have to give enough Oh yeah, this is really hard. <laughs> it's like you need to be given a total of one tank to the main one over its time. Because one tank is enough to get it halfway around, which yes. it has anyway. Yes. So it needs to get a total of one tank more along the way. Then how do you get a plane out to the other side to fuel it up? You need to start like you need to start doubling up. So the I think the answer will be an even number. No. An odd no, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, the problem with two planes going out at the beginning was if plane number one, which is the one which is going to circumnavigate, yeah. goes with plane number two, plane number two naturally wants to go a quarter of the way of it, uh, a quarter of its tank used, give half of its tank over, and then use the other quarter of the tank to get back. The problem is plane number one doesn't have a big enough tank to store all of that. Yeah. So how about three planes go out? One of the planes can be there to... Install the access. Yeah. Can planes crash? No, everyone's going to be safe in this. Okay. 
So one, two, three, set out. One is going to be the one which is going to second navigate. Mm-hmm. A quarter of a tank in, you could have plane number two give a quarter of its tank to plane number one. Yeah. A quarter of its tank to plane number three, so both of them have full tanks. Yes. And then use the remaining quarter of a tank to go back home. Yes. You've now gone a quarter of a tank's in, so an eighth of the whole journey. Yeah. Um, and you've got two full tanks going in tandem. Yeah, I'm worried about second plane, though. The other top-up one, I'm worried it's not going to be able to get back. Or that you can't go a quarter again, you have to go less than a quarter because it needs to find its way back. So, imagine you go going over a quarter, a quarter of a tank, so an eighth of the whole journey. Yeah. It could transfer a quarter over. It would have half left. No, two quarters remaining to get back. Which is exactly enough. Okay. At that point, you'd have gone two quarters of a tank in. Mm. You'd still be full. You've gone a quarter of the whole journey. Two apes. Yeah. Um, so three planes get you a quarter of the way. Oh, and then you would use the other, but that's almost... You've got a full tank, which gets you another half of the planet around. Right. So at that point, you've done three quarters of your journey. And then you can just use the other two on the other side yeah. to get back up and... Yeah, all right. So that's it's it. five, yeah. Oh, no. Even better, planes two and three are back by that point. Oh, and they can go back up again, yeah. So they all set off at the same time. They start turning back again. Mm. And then they meet it on the other end of the world. Hmm. So you can do it with three planes. Yeah. Which is just... It's a bit neat. That's good. It's not tight. There's a bit of layover. Yeah. They can have a bit of downtime on the base ready. They can probably also... Can they not just wait and set off together? Uh, I don't think plane number one, the second navigating one, has enough fuel to take both loads of fuel coming in at the same time. Right. Maybe it does. But... um, so it's slightly non-unique because it's not quite tight. Right. Good. That's fine. Yeah. It's got a nice symmetry to it, but it doesn't necessarily need it. Hmm. Mm. Now, I, I said that I was out buying a factory infinity. It's because I heard of the camel problem first. Right. So to go a certain distance, like you, you need so many camels. Mm. And to hear the, the answer was free is a bit defeating. <laughs> right. It's because of the, yeah. Yeah. That side of things. Okay, now do it in hyperbolic space. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> oh, no. Doing uh, non-Euclidean geometry. <laughs> we've done it on a plane, we've done it on a sphere. But the plane is on a planet which is a torus. It's time we did it on a donut, yeah. <laughs> so, listener feedback. We're now an odd enough show that we've got emails coming in of people just starting the show. Yeah. And, uh... Sending us emails from ages ago episodes. Ages ago episodes, which we are happy to receive. And uh, because some people nail things better. Yep. And some people find a better way of explaining or describing things. It's good. So we've got an email here from someone called Jake, um, who probably won't listen to this for a bit. No. But uh, Depends how much they binged it. Yeah. Happy to have you, Jake. Yeah. Um, he just listened to episode four, which is one of my favourites. It's when we did the change problem. Yes, the change problem, yeah. Um, where we were talking about greedy algorithms and whether that was always best for giving change to someone paying you at a till. Sure. Um, he came up with the same solution that someone else suggested to us. It was Tom Verdun. One, three, four. One, three, and four. 
1p, 3p, 4p, yeah. trying to make 6p. Yeah. And that, that is minimum. Um, Jake has gone a bit further than this, though. Um, so, to construct general sets, the idea is if you have the set of 1, because we had to have, we defined a sensible currency as always having 1 in its right. system. Yeah. X and MX plus 1. Yeah. So, some multiple of the middle amount plus 1. Uh, and you're trying to aim for M plus 1 lots of X. Yeah. Um, then those all act as counter examples if M is sufficiently small. Right. I don't know what sufficiently small means here. Um, it's going to be related to what X is. Right. So as X gets bigger, sufficiently small grows with it. Right. But um, sure. Jake hasn't got some hands on that. No, no. I just don't really see how if M was really large, that would be a problem. But my brain's not in the space for the uh, for this. I feel like I'm not. You know how when you have a problem, you sort of you kind of get to see the, the matrix of that particular problem, and you get this really nice intuitive sense and a feel for how it mm. works. I'm not there with uh, with with the coin problem. I probably used to be, mm. but it's just been sufficiently long ago that I just don't. Yeah. It was back in January. Yes, it was. Goodness me. It is now April. It is now April. That was episode four. This is episode eleven. 11. Yeah, that's the curse of doing them every two weeks. If you want to suggest problems to us for us to work on on the show, we don't promise good solutions or any solutions. No. <laughs> but we like hearing problems. Um, it's essentially why I do my job as a maths teacher. I like people giving me problems. And um, some people seem fit to pay me for that. Keep your expectations low and we can perhaps meet them. <laughs> or fail to reach them. Some of the smaller problems that people are giving to us, I'm putting on a mental back burner as ones I can do as, like, offshoot problems on other things. Right. So your problem doesn't have to ha- have much to it. We can just run with it, and we can put it with other things. Yes, because somebody suggested the dropping eggs off ladders, dropping light bulbs off type thing, which yep. um, we really want to find a good variant for, I think. Well, I've got a thing that I might do with that with um, some pirates dividing money up, which okay. is related. Sure. But, like, this is a typical example. Mm. People send us problems. Some of them are well-known, some of them are not. And um, we can we can work with that. Yeah. Okay, so that was this uh, Fortnite's episode. For new listeners, what we do at the end of every episode is we rank our problems for how satisfied we were with how we did with them. Yep. Uh, something we've always done. Don't really know why we do it, but it's a good way to recap stuff. So, question one, what did we do? We did Lewis Carroll's Dwarven Problem. Oh, I smashed it. You did. <laughs> I don't, I, it was, uh, I, I had this real problem with, I, I kind of intuit maths and I can never explain things. Yep. But it just felt right. It's, I, I love that problem. It's mm. one of my favourite puzzles. Mm. And it's just so neat seeing when you have that click moment of everything just rotating. Yeah. Because when you go in first, it's very tempting to get these things which are over 6 or over 36 or so on, mm. and everything gets really messy and fractiony. Yeah. And then it's just got this neat solution. Mm. It's hard for me to number because I already know the solution. Sure. It always is with these puzzly ones. Yeah. But I'm going to 10 it. Yeah, I'm going to 10 that as well. And I'm going to go away and build an Excel spreadsheet that will work out if things smooth out to that pattern over time as well. Yeah. Because I think you can do that in Excel, not much programming required. I think they do. You think it does smooth out? Yeah. Yeah, I got this. That's my hunch too. 
Uh, so problem two started as just me trying to think about how to model blood alcohol content and we had a little bit of a conversation about sweet spots and things like that it ended up being a tiny bit of just a philosophical discussion about what models mean and their importance and how to use them and so on um, wasn't the best <laughs> uh, I think what essentially happened is over the weekend we've been in pub gardens enjoying the sunshine quite a lot basically just been in pubs for the last 48 hours so just for some reason that old model that I had in my head of thinking about blood alcohol just resurfaced hmm. and uh, popped out but I'm glad that we've been through that one one time so we never have to do it again three two cool <laughs> <laughs> now the next one what was it? it was uh, petrol station rings hmm. but we did some extra stuff on it because we also did uh, camels crossing the desert and we did planes going around the world hmm um, it's our first problem suggested by a listener. First problem suggested by a listener. So naturally, it's a turn. <laughs> no. um, look, the original problem, I think, while I actually don't know how to perform formal proofs in any way at all, I feel like we got there on it. Yeah. I I liked your reducing it into number thing. Yeah. Positive numbers and negative numbers and thinking about their cumulative yeah. sum. I'd actually spent a bit of time... Um, working on this with some students mm-hmm. and we did completely different stuff and it, it didn't get any close right. to an answer it right. got very case based mm-hmm. um, I like your way in yeah seven I'm going to provide some more thought yes so some of my runtime is going to be devoted to that right for the next yeah for the next little while yeah I'm going to I'm going to eat it if any of you have a formal proof for it I would like to hear it I think I know some people that might have a formal proof for this listen yeah good so that was the episode I feel like that went past really quickly and not just because it was actually generally shorter than (laughs) than what we normally do but that that flew by I Uh, think it's the first problem is quicker than it normally is because I started with a puzzle rather than one which was something we couldn't do yes typically we start with something that goes on for about half an hour and then the next two are the short ones but this one was the other way around we had short ones to start with just keeping it fresh keeping you on your toes Hmm. Um, you're welcome for the toe pain so (laughs) (laughs) so if you want to contact us uh, we have a twitter at at odds and evenings we have a contact form on our website so our website's oddsandevenings.com you can go and there's a contact form there and just fill in you know, we don't, we don't want to collect your email address or anything. Just do what the form tells you to do. You don't even have to put in a name. Just be like a spooky listener or something like that. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at SpeakMouthWords. The background music, which we haven't credited to David Russell for a while, is by David Russell 323 on, on YouTube. It's still by David Russell 323. And by that I mean the theme music. The background music is uh, random royalty free music that one day I'll write up <laughs> who it all belongs to. But for now, just don't tell anyone. Um, what else? Um, the main Twitter that we read is the at odds and evenings. Yes, there's also a subreddit that no one uses. Go and breathe life into it. If you'd like to become the moderator of that subreddit and do some. You know, nice stuff to it. Let us know. I've moderated subreddits before. I bought subreddits from nothingness to greatness in the past. The, the power metal subreddit on Reddit was one of mine. Um, well, work your magic. Yes, I'll do what I can. Hmm. And we will see you all in two weeks. In two weeks' time. We're going to go and enjoy the sunshine. Bye bye. Bye bye, Alex. Goodbye. Thank you.
One of these days. Not to, <laughs> not to make any promises. One of these days we'll switch to, <laughs> to, to weekly. We just need to have an editor so it's just not me doing it all the time. Yeah. That's not an invitation. <laughs> I still want creative control. All this is getting cut, for example. <laughs> <laughs>